What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You podcast. I am your host, Josh Canuti. If you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, write us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback as a whole. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com. I am so excited that this company exists right now because in the craziness that we call this world and this uh, society, we could use some help with our mental health, and this company is here for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. This is not like a crisis line. This is not like a self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling unhappy, if you just can't get through the day, reach out to BetterHelp and talk to somebody. I can tell you from experience, it will be a massive, massive help. Because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com slash O-C-Y. That's help, H-E-L-P, and join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental help and getting help with an experienced professional. And there is a special offer for overcoming listeners only and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash O-C-Y. Betterhelp.com slash O-C-Y. My guest today is Mr. Stephen White. And by the looks of him, you never would guess that he is a recovering addict, recovering addict from heroin, alcohol, meth. He's been in and out of rehab. He's been homeless, slept under bridges. He has an amazing, amazing story of overcoming his addictions. And if you don't have any experience with addiction or don't know anybody that does, listen to what he says when he talks about how he found true happiness. Listen to what he says when he talks about his self-talk and all the different ways that he overcame so many different challenges that are so transferable to anybody regardless of any sort of issues with addiction. So, So please welcome my guest today, Stephen White. What's up, everybody? I have a buddy of mine, Stephen White, here to talk about something that I am extremely terrified about. And it's kind of twofold. One is the drug addiction and drug overdose in not only in America, but in the world. And then I think it correlates and intersects nicely or unfortunate with mental health. And seeing how we're in this pandemic, I've been saying this since... The, since day one of lockdown that I am more concerned about the negative halo effects of this pandemic as far as the economical downturn, the mental health. And I didn't even think about it until we started talking about the drug addiction portion of this. And then the other thing is I talked to a few police officers in different precincts around the country, and all of them say they have three basic calls per day. It's domestic violence, suicide calls, or drugs. That's all that they're getting right now because everybody's locked down. I know we're slowly kind of coming out of quarantine or whatnot, but I think in at least in America and in this um, during this pandemic, we are just in the beginning stages of the negative effects of this mental health and negative effects of this drug addiction, drug overdose. And so just to kind of give the listeners a little insight or refresher on how big of an issue drug overdose and drug addiction is in north america alone 64,000 people die about just under 600,000 people die worldwide um that's about twice as much as homicides car crashes combined so 
there's a big, big issue with it. And so one of the reasons we were talking about a little bit before we started, one of the reasons why we want to have you on is one, you've had your own battles with drug addiction and I have overcome and recovered and you're four years sober. So congratulations mm-hmm. to that. Thank you. Um, very, very awesome. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for kind of taking this time to kind of tell your story and kind of be transparent. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I really do. Of course. It's my pleasure. So we, we were talking a little bit before and I wanted to save it for the podcast. So I want to kind of turn it over to you. So you've had a big run-in or big issue with drugs and mm-hmm. addiction. Mm-hmm. So kind of tell us your story. Kind of when did this happen? When was the first time? What type of drugs did you try? How did it all start? Well, so when it started for me with like drugs, it was it was 13, 12, 13, 14. It was Mike's Hard Lemonade. Neighbor, <laughs> Me and a neighbor kid stole a six-pack from my parents' house and went down the street on our skateboards and shared it yeah. and you know nothing bad happened where'd you go santa clarita santa clarita so about okay. an hour well, up the up the five yeah um and but i mean looking back i mean like so i'm an alcoholic i'm an addict i i do follow the the principles of aa i work in a program and there's this thing called like the ism right and the first time my ism ever got me in trouble and my mom likes to bring this story up because she this is when she knew I was different. Um, she so I I love those little you get the like I think it's like comes with like fifty popsicles different colors like orange red yellow blue yeah so I really like the blue ones. Um, I was being potty trained so I had the little plastic toilet in the kitchen you know yeah and um, I had been sneaking them out of the fridge the blue ones eating them like hidden in my room or hidden somewhere around the house eating them. And, um, you know, it came time for bowel movement and I uh, went to the bathroom. My mom saw that my <laughs> bowel movement was like neon green. So she freaks out and she throws me in the car. And she takes me to the emergency room and the doctor's like, so is his, you know, poops neon green. And she goes, yeah, and she's freaking out because she doesn't know what's going on. Right. And he kind of looks in my ears. He looks at my nose says say ah and i do it and he goes what kind of candy does he eat and my mom was like well he likes these popsicles blue ones and she goes yeah and shows the tongue and she goes oh my gosh she goes home i had eaten like 15 of these popsicles um so that was the first time that like my addiction just like the ism landed me like in the hospital or got me in trouble where i was like doing something in isolation. It was a secret. I knew it was bad. I shouldn't be, but I did it anyway because I like the effects produced by cramming popsicles in my mouth. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, but I mean, when it really started, so I mean for with drugs and alcohol for like, it started with pot and alcohol, you know, it was pretty innocent. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say it was more, um, like experiential is more exploratory, you yeah. know, I went through the dare program in elementary school. They said, Oh, you touch pot, it's going to kill you. Well, guess what? It didn't. So they're yeah. a bunch of liars. What else are they lying about? Exactly. Um, and so, but there was something different, you know, I never felt a part of at a very young age, I was diagnosed with ADHD. So mm-hmm. mental health, right? Yep. Right. There is, I mean, that's a correlation. And at a young age being told, we'll take this prescription It'll change the way you think and feel and you'll be quote unquote normal. You won't get sent to the principal's offices. 
like, yeah, it worked. When I took my Adderall, it worked. It may, I didn't get in much trouble, yeah. but I also didn't feel like myself. And so I hated taking Adderall. But. And how, how old are you at this time? When they uh, prescribed that? Adderall? Yeah. Second grade, so whatever that is. It was a very low. It was a low. It was a, it was it was a low milligram, Who and you got to remember, I was bouncing off the walls. I was the kid that, I mean, look like your parents don't get a playbook on how to raise a perfect sure. kid, so they're taking, and that was something that I also had to work through for a long time because me and my parents butted heads. But I mean, that's a whole nother story. But like, it's what the the school said. Right. He's gonna do better if he takes this, and guess what? I did, but it still taught me something. You take something, it's, yeah, you know, and, interesting. And, and I didn't like the way Adderall made me feel, but hey, I like the way pop made me feel. I like right. the way pills make me feel. They kind of did the same thing. They they dwarfed that ADHD a little bit, yeah. not as well as Adderall because that was like no personality. I was just like a little zombie. Right. I started to self medicate, weed, alcohol. I, I started hanging around with a crowd that like accepted me. Full disclosure, they were kind of bald and white. Oh, <laughs> kind of, gotcha. I was kind of like the who I who because they accepted me for who I was. You know, I got yeah. bullied a lot when I was younger, um, different things like that. And you do it to kind of fit in to be yeah in the beginning. In the beginning, yeah. well, it's because I I had I had like this like like I guess you could say like a family, but it was like older brothers and like guys who didn't pick on me because of my weight. A bunch of popsicles. I was a fat guy. Uh, you know <laughs> right. So, right. Um, I was really good at sports. That was definitely my outlet, you know, hanging out with the bad guys or like the cool guys. Right. And kind of doing what they were doing. And, you know, I, I mean, it started, it really started me and a couple of my friends would steal Sudafed for them and mm. give them the Sudafed and they'd give us like some weed right, and call right. it a day transaction complete, you know? And then I started selling that weed to my friends, you know, long story short, it just, it, it, I got addicted to being that guy that everyone needed or mm. wanted because of what I had. It had nothing to do with who I was, right? Right. right. And that just turned into a whole mess of, yeah. you know, by 15, I started doing heroin. That's a funny story in itself because <laughs> my next door neighbor who I grew up with, um, you know, he had been, gotten in some trouble with school, obviously, yeah. and um, he was grounded. And I tried heroin for the first time and I came home and I was like, in a needle or did you smoke it? Smoked it. Yeah. I didn't try the needle until I was in my, um, early twenties Yeah, or let, teens. Let me stop, stop right there because teens. it sounds yeah very similar. So it's super easy to armchair quarterback and look back and go, Oh, here's, if this would have happened, maybe this didn't, this sure. wouldn't have happened. Every, that's real easy. But one of the things that I've been, on a tear with and i gotta be honest i feel a little bit i feel a little bit wrong about saying this because i don't have kids mm -hmm. and so it feels weird giving advice to parents however listening to your story talking to other neurologists psychologists mm -hmm. everything like that if your parents and my parents as well if your parents would have taught you to be proud of yourself about who you are mm -hmm. and had that self-love which is a lot easier said than done mm -hmm. but i think if parents now can hey tell your child hey you're pretty 
you're handsome. You did great. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. That has to stay as a as a foundation. Mm-hmm. But then get them to tell you what they love about themselves and build that self love. Then you won't go and try to search for it elsewhere. Yeah. And then at that age, you're too fucking young to realize that you're getting adulation for what you have, not who you are. Mm-hmm. You don't fucking know the difference. Yeah. You've never been to therapy. You don't fucking know anything. Yeah. And then that starts that whole cycle of people want something from me kind of thing. And then that kind of gets to all, all of a sudden, you know, you want to be cool or you, you don't want to let anybody down. So, yeah. Hey, you want to, want to smoke some heroin and go, okay, cool. So you're sure. 15 smoke heroin and then kind of go from there. With I, I went home and I told my buddy, like, guess what I did today? And he was like, what? And I was like, heroin. And he goes, Oh, lucky. What? Right. right? Yeah. So it's like, that's the thing is I, it, at this point, and I, I, I think about this a lot for myself, you know, because it's like, obviously my parents raised me, you know, and I think it's 90% um, your environment mm-hmm. is what shapes you. And then it's 10% genetics. A lot of people, like I have a lot of alcoholics and addicts in my family, Yeah, but I also don't come into contact with them as much. Now my dad, you know, put a roof over my head, clothes on my back, supported my mom, my sister, myself, um, never miss a day of work, but he could be borderline alcoholic because he likes alcohol a lot. Right. And there has been, and if you look at any sort of quiz that you can take, am I an alcoholic? He probably checks off a handful of those boxes. Yeah. But someone has to be willing to admit that they have a problem to be able to do something about it. Until then, you know, he still does what he has to do. They call it the functioning. Yeah. You know, but could his life be better without it probably mine is yeah you know i think for anybody even if you are an alcoholic and you know for certain you are or maybe you think you are Mm -hmm. try living some time without it period and see if your life gets better or if it gets worse because if it gets worse you're 100 an alcoholic because that's your solution to whatever Mm -hmm. your problem is that you're drinking or using over yeah you know um but if it gets better go ahead not to jump ahead but that's kind of one of the major first steps is admitting mm. you have a problem, That's right? Is, that, first is that not the first step? And I think that goes <clears throat> universal. That's one of the things that, and and I don't want to jump into how your recovery process, because I want to talk about that mm-hmm. as we get to there, but there's so many things with the 12 steps that are so transferable to life. You oh, know, 100%. that first thing is as soon as you say, you know what, I am not being a good husband or you know what i am not being a good business person am i doing what i need to do in my business if the answer is no then that's the first step Mm -hmm. like you can't go fucking anywhere you can't fix anything that you don't have clued into or put shine a light on that you have a problem with otherwise it's just Mm -hmm. it's just nothing so i love the the transferable and i think there's so many things that go go through that so i just love the kind of transferability between the 12 steps, between recovery, between life yeah. in general. Yeah. The 12 steps is a pathway to a contact with a higher power though. And that can be a major turnoff for a lot sure. of people. Yep. Um, but you are hundred percent right that if you, and with business, I'm not hundred percent sure if that could be, it might be, Yeah. but I know for a fact with any sort of substance, eating sex, like something that you are doing to kind of dwarf any feelings or make yourself feel better about whatever situation that you're in or who you are. Yes. 
you can totally use it because there is some sort of malady, you know, that someone's dealing with and it's usually a bad one, you yep. know, that they're, they're uncomfortable with themselves. So yeah, if like, let's say I had a problem with, you know, cramming 50 burritos in my mouth every night, I could easily open up the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and every time it said alcohol, I said burritos. Yeah. And eventually it would compute and you'd be able to not make that choice to like eat like that. Right. You know, it, it would be different. But that's the other thing with, I think as soon as we start to break the stigma of drug addiction and the stigma of mental health, I mm -hmm. think it gets a lot easier because oh, yeah. nobody in the history of ever would look at a, a diabetic and just go, bro, just, just, just stop, stop eating sugar. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. you, you asthmatic? Just run a marathon. Just, just What's breathe. The big deal? Yeah, just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. You're, you're fine. I mean, nobody yeah. would ever do that. But yet with mental health and depression, just like, just get over it. Just man yeah. up. Just yeah, think, of, think of three happy it. thoughts. Be grateful for two things for your addicted to drugs. Just stop doing it. Just yeah. go go to detox. Go that to was rehab. a You'll be fine. big conversation with me and my dad. Just just quit. Yeah. And I wanted to. Of course. Because I could see it was ruining my life. But then at a certain point, you also got to remember it was, I, it was fear of failure, fear, fear of success was like two big things for me. Because I could never do anything right enough. And that goes back all the way to elementary school, mm -hmm. right? Um, to like I could never do anything right for, for my dad. You know, my mom loved me no matter what I was doing. I could be a freaking Jeffrey Dahmer. And she'd right. be like, well, I love him. <laughs> you know, I'll bail him out. It's fine. Yeah. You know, and like that was to her own fault, kept me sick even longer. Yeah. You know, because she was enabling the shit out of me, you know. Um, and I <laughs> I knew it. And right. so I took advantage of it. And I drove a wedge, you know, between them. They're still together, yeah. thankfully. But there was talk of divorce a few separate times that I found out later on in my recovery because of me, like, yeah, people will say, well, that was their choice, their relationship. But if I wasn't running and gunning and doing a bunch of crazy shit, sure, it, it probably would have not had anything to fight about. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a lot of shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shame and guilt that keeps that like the cycle of addiction. It's an activating event leads to using like the real short version. Sure. You're activated by something makes you feel a certain way you use, then you feel shitty about using. So you use again yeah. and around and around that. And then that's a new activating event until yeah. you get sober or clean, remove yourself, go to rehab, go on a vacation, whatever, get away from it. But if you don't do anything about what that activating event was, mm -hmm. you're back at square one and it's going to reactivate. And then you're going to, that's why people are always like, I'm sure you have friends who are addicts and alcoholics. Yep. And you, if you've talked to them, why are you using? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Because, and they'll say some irrational shit. And you're like, you're sitting there like, the fuck what are you talking, talking about? about? Yeah. But to them, that irrational thought is completely rational. Yep. Because they're between the two parts of their brain that's most affected by addiction, the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. and the limbic system, the midbrain, they're all limbic. That, yeah. that prefrontal cortex. Uh, cortex is just um, shut off basically yeah. for, it's not shut off <clears throat> but no empathy um, lack of forward thinking mm -hmm. like you don't think about if I do this if I go pick up that drugs I'm going to steal that car and go to jail usually it's like I'm going to go get those drugs yeah let's see where this leads that's it yeah you know you know and, and, and so without that forward thinking or the emotional regulation mm -hmm. that that's what the forward thing uh, that's what the prefrontal cortex does is uh, yeah. It just 
it's a recipe. It's just like waiting there for like disaster, you yeah. know? That's the same thing with, with depression is that yeah. that logical thought process is not even remotely present. Yeah. It's just like, just speaking from my own experience, it's you could not tell me different as much as that shirt that you're wearing is mm-hmm. black. I knew for a matter of fact that I was a burden on any person that I ever came in contact mm-hmm. for the history of my life in yeah. current. I knew that everybody's life was worse off with me here, yeah. anything. And I knew that every single person, even my people that I call friends, and they are friends today, I know mm-hmm. that now, but my friends there, I knew that every single one of them hated me without a shadow of a doubt and did not want want me around, did not like me. And it's just, if you sit there and think about that, it's just like so irrational mm-hmm. to think about it. But you don't have that ability during that time so, to think about that. You don't have that ability exactly. during that, that time. All you know is... I'm going to go get that and I'm not going to feel like this. Mm-hmm. So let me just go get that and fuck whatever else happens. Well, and that's, I mean, I personally, so there's two people I have a lot of like praise for who like turn the leaf and like move on. And that's people who deal with depression without addiction because mm-hmm. I had a solution. I don't know much about ex- like your story or everything, yeah. but my solution, cause I had depression, anxiety, blah, all that stuff. Anytime I felt that way, it's like, well, let's get rid of feelings, a little meth, a little heroin, a little Xanax, some alcohol. What feelings, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like I'm good for until this wears off and I wake up. Right. Yeah. But for people who are dealing with strictly mental health or people who just don't, maybe they're an alcoholic. I like to call them addicts and alcoholics without drugs or alcohol. They're just kind of like nuts. (laughs) I would agree. Um, People who are able to like move forward from that. I have a lot of respect for. Mm -hmm. And then there's the true alcoholic, the one who's strictly alcohol, who because those people are wound up. They're a different, I like to call them a different breed. They are a different breed. I've known them. Um, the only thing that works for them, in my in my opinion, sure. is AA. Mm-hmm. There's not many, like, yeah, you can go do therapy. You can go to like, you know, the best treatment facility that gives you the magical pill and says, take this for the rest of your life. You won't drink. Those fuckers will drink. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's everywhere. It's completely legal. Mm-hmm. You're driving down the street and you see a guy with a 40 in his hand clean cut dude like i'm not saying like a homeless guy like right. me or you drinking a 40 everyone's gonna be like oh guys having a little early you know it's thursday thirsty yeah. thursday right on bro but you saw me like twisting a meth pipe you're gonna be like throw that piece of shit in jail right <laughs> you know and it's like yeah they go under the radar for so long before someone says you have a problem with alcohol just yeah. stop and it's like it's basically their meth or heroin. Right. They they can't. They're physically dependent upon yeah. the booze. And it's and for people to I have a couple of friends who are like straight alcoholics and they've definitely gone through their ups for and downs. Sure. They're they're doing good now. One of the things that I wanted to yeah. wanted to ask you, so going into that kind of loop, does boredom play a role in an addict's mind or is that yeah. is that I say some stuff to uh, people because I like a lot of my work is done on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I talk to a lot of people, and I always ask them, you know, if it's been there. Sometimes it's been their twentieth time going to treatment, and I'm like, why do you keep? Why? Like, why do you keep relapsing? Like, I've had my fair share of relapses right. in my day, but twenty, like that's like I don't go in and out, in and out, in and out. And yeah. I've always tried to understand people who go in and out, in and out. But when it comes to boredom. I, they always say it's a cop out. That's a cop out answer. Mm-hmm. 
Um, oh, I'm just, I just get bored. Mm. And then I like to hit them with, you know, you have the inability to be in the present moment. That's why you get bored. Mm-hmm. And if you can figure out how to be in a present moment, yes. no matter what you're doing, Fuck sitting yeah. there waiting for a bus, you're not going to be bored because you're going to be in the moment. Yep. And that to me is like mm-hmm. the whole, it's, it's finding a purpose and learning how to be in the present moment. If you can figure those out and having some humility and like helping others and just being a, a good guy. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and meaning it, you know, and telling the truth and even if it hurts people's feelings or whatever, just living by the principles. Right. Um, yeah. It, it, it gets yeah. real simple. It's like, it's that simple to do it. Like I said in the beginning, with all of us quarantine, I know some of us are kind of coming out, mm-hmm. is that the boredom is the thing that scares me mm-hmm. with drug addiction and with mental health because it's so easy to – because at least if you have a 9-to-5 job, even if it fucking sucks, yeah, even if you hate going. it, you're still going, you're still doing something, you still get that check. Even if it's a shitty check in your mind, it's still – there's still a little piece of you, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that goes, you know what? It's a good day's work. Yeah. I'm able to eat. I got yeah. a roof. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. may not think through it. Maybe like, I want this. I want that. But the boredom is the one that that scares me. And then just to dovetail, not to belabor the point, but, you know, with, what are we at? 14.7% unemployment that mm-hmm. we know of right now. 350, 14% was at 52, 50 million people. There's another probably 25 million people that are out of work that don't know they're out of work yet. Sure. You know, because once we start to go back, there's probably a million businesses that are out of business that don't know they're out of business. Yeah. And so now you have another 25 million on top of the 50 million that are already out of work. Now the boredom sits in even more. And now if you're in my position, you got to constantly be in the moment, got to constantly be doing something for me, I have to have some sort of physical activity. I have to have a um, meditation. I got to try to be in that moment. I love that you yeah. said that. I wasn't expecting that because yeah. I think that's so valuable. But that's what scares me. So I want to kind of go back. Let's circle back to your story. And then I want to kind of really dig into kind of if you had to look back and kind of connect the dots on how the recovery specifically worked for you. I want to kind of go through mm-hmm. your steps. Yeah. So if you're going to give like advice to somebody right now. You know, what would that be? But I want to kind of end or kind of finish out your your story. So you're 15, start doing heroin, yeah. and then kind of the highlight version, what kind of is the next few years? Sure, yeah. I mean, it. so from the point of doing heroin at this point, I'm selling a lot of different drugs um, with a group of my friends. Um, you know, everything from like your kind of party drugs to your more illicit, you so know, like ecstasy co- and stuff. Ecstasy, acid, yeah. mushrooms, and then we got into cocaine um, heroin, Xanax, a lot of pills, stuff like yeah. that. But for me, I was always taking them. So I'm building this super gnarly. Don't get high on your own supply. I know. I should have listened to Biggie. Yeah, come on, man. I know. I like that song too back in the day. I was like, yeah, don't get it. I thought I was so cool, right? Yeah. There there I am doing it. He was right. talking specifically about crack. I didn't do too much crack. Crack is whack. Oh, um, yeah. But uh, no, crack. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So um, at 16, I go to my first rehab. That was a mistake. Parents should have never done that. They should let me do what I was. I was like running around homeless, running away. They should just let me keep doing that because what happened is they sent me to Houston, Texas. I was 16 years old. I was not even close to being done. And then I'm in a house with a bunch of dudes who are my age now who are like, like I would call them actual drug addicts. I'm like a 16-year-old doing a lot of drugs, 
I don't right. know if I was a drug addict then or not. Like I could have totally phased out of that. Yeah. But then I meet these guys and I'm like, they're my idols. They're so cool. Not cool. But they, you know, and going through this weird little treatment center that I went through. Yeah. I learned how to be a master manipulator. Now I know how to say the words that you want me to say to get you off my back so that I can go keep getting high. I know how to fake a drug test. I know how it was like it was like going to school to be a drug addict. Yeah, you, know? you got a master's in how to be a drug addict. Exactly. It was like it was about, <laughs> I was there for about three, four months. You know, I was able to keep this lie going. Like I like they thought I had like nine months clean. Yeah. I think I came back with like thirty days. Like I was getting loaded in that room. Really? Yeah. It was it was rough. So then fast forward a little bit. I'm homeless again. This is a weird story. It was my second time going to rehab. I just checked myself in. I was all I was blacked out. Don't remember. I, I still don't remember it to this day. I just woke up in a place called in Piru, California. Um, it was just it was a treatment center called Action Family Counseling, and um, it was just this old little bed and breakfast. Piru is a very old city. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like up the 126 on the way to Fillmore. Um, very old little town. Yeah. We're in this bed and breakfast and I woke up and I was like, I had no idea where I was. And I went to sneak out of this place because I was like, I owe someone money for this place. Like right. I was in a room, the guy in the bed next to me had a big gang tattoo from like my hometown on his back. And I was Ooh. like a Mexican dude. And I was kind of like, what am I doing here? Go to sneak out. They catch me. I stayed put. I said, you know, I was homeless for like two months before this. Right. What? Whatever. I'm here. Yeah, like, they haven't bed. kicked me out. Like I don't own money. So you know, that turned into going to Bakersfield. I ended up getting close to about a year. And this kind of ties into that boredom stuff is I think the only way, and it's like the present moment stuff at 11 months sober. And I was actually 11 months sober. Yeah. I hadn't changed anything about myself except for not doing drugs or drinking. What do you mean by that? Can you give an example? Like I still walked around with my chest puffed up. I still mm. talked about how bad I was. I was selling Seroquel to my sober living. So I was still like this weird drug dealer selling Seroquel. Like, yeah. Okay, come on, bro. What's Seroquel? Seroquel is a sleep med. It's literally, it's, a, it's <laughs> at a certain milligram, it's an antipsychotic, you know? But yeah. it's, yeah, I, it would basically be like me sitting up in some sober living selling like melatonin. Right, Like right, really okay. heavy duty melatonin, but yeah. still like, and I was... So nothing had changed for me. Yeah. I was still this like, thought I was tough shit, you know, and I wasn't. But right. I hadn't worked on myself. All I did was just remove drugs and alcohol. So in a sense, I was probably more unhappy and stressed out and like, just sad. Yeah. Than I w ever was on drugs in that year, roughly, because right. it was just, it was miserable. I didn't have what I wanted to make myself feel better. Ditched yeah. that place. I just packed up. They said, you're about to get your year. I said, nope. Left, out. went and got drunk. Because I was nice. like, there's no point. You know? I don't want to. Yeah. Um, one DUI, two DUI, three DUI after that. Um, jail. And then, like, the last, I want to say the last year was really where it was, like, the roughest. And what, what age is this? Uh, I was, this? well, it was between the ages of 22 and 24. Okay. So, my addiction, like, all through my DUIs, I had a plethora of other shit in my system. Luckily, I only got caught for the alcohol. Yeah. But, I mean, my first DUI, I blew a .26. My second one was a 1.6. My third one, I, they caught me on a, at a jack-in-the-box drive-thru. And um, uh, 
I knew I was fucked. Like I literally got the second DUI a month prior. Oh shit. And so when they pulled me out, I was doing donuts and trying to fight someone in a Kmart parking lot minutes before that. So the guy called the cops on me. I don't remember any of this pulling out of the drive through and there's just like seven cop cars around me. I just locked my doors and started eating and they were like, we're going to break your window. You need a breathalyze. I said, no, my, my attorney told me not to, uh, you know, yeah. said so you're going, I never <clears throat> breathalyzed. So I don't know what I blew there, but I was, I was wasted. Yeah. Bad. Like I'm, I'm nowadays looking back, like I'm glad they pulled me over. Yeah. Cause I don't know where, I don't think I was going home after that. I was going to eat and go do something. It was like Shit. two in the morning. So, you know, yeah. a little trip to LA County. Don't recommend going there. Uh-huh. It's absolutely terrible. How long were you in there? A total of 30 days. Okay. Not long. Long Good, enough. Long enough. Cool thing about, I got sentenced to a year. So cool thing about LA County, if you're ever going to get arrested, do it in LA County because they're so overpopulated. Yeah. LA County is there. There's no like substation for LA. If you're drunk in public, you go to LA County, process mm. in, process out. Um, so by the time you actually get there, it's like I'm sentenced to a year. I got half time right off the rip. Yeah. And then I got time for good behavior. And then it was do 10% of your time. Uh-huh. So I did 30 days. Nonviolent offender. Right. Luckily. Yeah. Yeah. But that didn't, you know, nothing really stopped me. I've had. Do you think drugs should be legal? That's, I, I wonder that question. Sure. I mean, it's not like it's going to make them. It's not like making them like either make it a death penalty for using drugs yeah, or make them legal because this like weird middle zone mm-hmm. where if you, okay, like you don't have over a quarter ounce of heroin on you. You're just a, you're, this is, you're just user. Yeah. You're not a dealer. I just, I think it goes in plays interesting into the psychology currently right now because you have kind of two camps with this pandemic you have stay the fuck at home everybody wear a mask mm-hmm. and then you have people open up the fucking country do whatever you know yeah. don't tell me what to do and i'm not saying which side i'm on or whatever but i am definitely on the side of freedom of speech and whatever i do to my body mm-hmm. is my my right now granted if i get wasted off of coke heroin crack speed booze and i'm in a car I'm in the wrong. That is something That's that illegal. is that is law. Mm-hmm. If I go and I'm all hopped up on any of those drugs and I go and I shoot somebody, I should be charged for murder. Yeah. But I shouldn't be charged for murder and whatever's in there in my system. I shouldn't be charged if I go into a house and go steal something. I should be charged for theft, not for theft and what's in my body. Possession of or whatever. Yeah. It's like you, you stole you stole that you robbed that bank and you had forty five grams of protein in your body because you <laughs> ate two steaks. That's going down in your record, buddy. Like it's just, I don't know. That's and that's that's a, that's a hard one to answer. I'll be honest. You know, it's um, in Portugal has some really good um, effects decriminalizing. Now it's not legal; it's decriminalized. But the heroin mm-hmm. from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand eighteen reduced fifty percent. Really, it reduced in half after the decriminalization. So there's I like bet you overdoses. Good, uh, overdoses lightened went, up, but yeah, like a lot as well. Yep. I know a lot of people that I've known that have overdosed and like live to talk about it. Yeah. Overdosed because they were rushed because it's illegal. Yeah. And they needed to get their fix really quick when they just picked it up from the dope man. They're 
out in some random parking lot and they I just need it and they do a little too much and yep. and you know what I mean if it was legal and they didn't have to stress yeah it's still not good but then there's needle exchanges there's safe places like I forget what country there's a Canada so I was gonna <clears throat> bring that up Canada yeah. has a company called Insight yeah and they have little like probably about the size of this room, little offices all around like big drug areas. <laughs> and you're able to come in and you get administered heroin with a clean needle and the correct dosage. Yeah. And it's, you don't get charged or anything like that. It's just a safe site. Jeez. And then, but every single, they track. The only thing that is, they say you can come in, you can get as much um, heroin as you want, anytime you want, whatever within the amount that's not going to kill you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they, said that they had administered over 175,000 individuals in over 3 million doses of heroin and not one overdose, which is, I, I know that's a weird kind of thing, but I rather, if someone is going to do it, at least be safe. Cause I rather have somebody. Yeah. This is such a, such a weird fucking sense. It's a, to ta- say, it's a I, taboo. It's yeah, taboo. It's I would super rather taboo. have you do drugs and not die. Yeah. Than do drugs and die. Some people, I, I, I agree because I know it like myself, yeah. right? Like I know a lot of great people who aren't here right now yeah, because they died yeah. like too many, you know, but at the same time, there's some people that say you, you, you want to solve the opiate ep- epidemic, take away Narcan, mm-hmm. you know, like there's those people and it, and really it has to do with the person's, you know, what they've been through. Yeah. Who, who, who was... Like my judge that sentenced me, 100% for sure, someone in her family was either an alcoholic and she despised them, or she knew someone very close to her that was injured or killed by a drunk driver. Why was she the She threw the book at me. Oh, okay. Hard. Like, it was my third DUI. I wasn't the most friendliest with the police, but I was like, I think 20. You know what I mean? And It's a fast life. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it is. It's very fast. Um it's it's how it's where people are at. Yeah. Like if you talk to some police, are gonna say I have a lot of. It hurts my heart to see addicts and alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Other ones are like fuck them, pieces of shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like one of them bit me the other day. I had to go get tested for HIV and all this shit because yeah. you know I don't know where where they've been. You know, and it, it's. <clears throat> and that's the that's the other thing that I probably side. We can have these conversations with 10 different people and have mm-hmm. de- 10 different out- outcomes. 100%. But my heart sides with the individual. I'm on team people 100%. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that you and I sitting here, one hour or one day different, and then there's a very big possibility that you and I aren't here. I you feel like, like a like butterfly effect, like chaos theory sure. kind of stuff. Okay, for sure, I get that. Yeah. And I think the exact same way goes the re- the reverse. Something mm-hmm. happens, someday something happens. I'm not being woo woo or anything about about this, but somebody you know, a coach gets you at, at 15 and kind of steers you this way, just a degree, and then maybe don't don't go through this. You know, and I'm not saying you going through it is a bad thing because That's... you're now you're which we'll get to next. Now you're helping so many people, yeah. which I think is a whole nother, another story. Whereas some of the people that have some of the hardest times end up helping the most people mm-hmm. because you have, you have so much depth of despair, the relatability. Too. Yes, yes, exactly. 
but yeah. kind of just bringing that full circle is like, I don't agree. I, I understand, but I don't agree with the people that say fuck them because I believe that they're one hour, one good day away from changing their, their life, good or bad. 100%. You know, and I just, I just feel if we can get, that's one of the main reasons why I have this podcast is to try to get to as many fucking people yeah. as possible and deal with this motherfucker that's in between all of our ears mm -hmm. because that is the motherfucker that fucks with us the most. Yeah. <laughs> it's the motherfucker of motherfuckers. <laughs> it is. It is. You know? Yeah. No, you're 100% right. That's what I, I just, I hope and I know that somebody's listening that is going to hear your story or hear something is like this. And like we were talking about before, maybe they don't get clean, but maybe they put on some music that makes them happy mm -hmm. and they work out. And then maybe yeah. the next day, instead of drinking a 12 pack and a bottle, they just drink a six pack and then they work yeah. out, you know? And then yeah. maybe the day after that, they just drink a 40, you, you yeah. know, you don't, you don't know like one thing, one good day, one good hour could change the trajectory of somebody's life. Yeah. It's, it's just, I don't know. I'm just on, on team people. Yeah. Um, so kind of go, going back to your story, 20, you're getting the book thrown at you. Yeah. And then how do you kind of, how do you get into recovery? And then what is your, what is your steps and processes sure. to get to four years sober? Okay. So book thrown at me, I get out, I'm kind of doing my thing. Um, I'm, I've been with the same girl for a long time. It's about, it's probably going on our sixth year or something like that. I'm completely strung out at this point. Like it's okay. bad. Like I've, I've been strung out. I've been homeless. I've been this, it's never been this bad. I'm selling meth. Um, and I, I believe if you're selling meth, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like if you've, if you've literally, that's your life. Like you might want to take a look at it. It's not good. Right. No one around me is a good friend. Some nights I'm sleeping under a bridge. Other nights I'm living in a trap house. Um, I'm like your richest homeless kid that you ever met. Right. I get a text and it's probably been, it's probably, this is going on about, I think I'm coming up on 24. Okay. Let's see. So March, 2016 is my sobriety date. So this must have been February, middle of February is when I got this text message. And it had been about nine months since I talked to her. My mom, she sends me a text message with the name Trios Recovery mm -hmm. and a phone number. I'm sitting there under a bridge. My mom has finally like severed all ties, which fast forward in therapy, I find out that they actually took out a life insurance policy on me at this time mm. because they're just getting ready. You know, yeah. like they like right now I'm, I'm sitting at about like 235. That's like the weight I'm at. When I came into detox, 150. Whoa. So I was like skin and bones. It didn't look good. Um, thought I looked great. I had an Adam's apple. I was like, yeah, nah. we get so many girls. No, no, no. I'm like, what else? What, what, what else? What else am I going to do? I may as well try this last shot because you could say I was like suicidal, but mm -hmm. I don't think I was actually suicidal. So I kind of tread lightly saying that I was never, I never had, I, I never attempted, but I, I was always like, like I yeah. was in such a deep hole. But I was too much of a pussy to actually kill myself, right? Yeah. Like I couldn't bring myself to do it. I wanted to die by the needle or blaze of bullets kind of thing, you know, yeah. like take some people out with me. It right. was like a weird, right? I didn't plan to live past 25. That's like I made like a, a I kind of had that conversation with a few of my friends growing up. And um, 
I said, I may as well try one last time. I'm about to be 24. Yeah, I may okay. as well just give it a shot. And so I go to detox. I'm, I'm like in a psychosis. And it really starts with detox. Like the woman that I met, her name is Daria. And she still operates at different uh, different facility than the first one I went to. It's not open anymore. But um, she really just gave me like she like she was just nice to me. Mm. She didn't judge me. You know, she has her own. She's fucking batshit crazy, too. Like sure. her story is like nuts compared to mine. But, um, you know, she just made me feel like you're good. And so right there, I just had like this driving force i was not and i'll tell you this i was not here for myself in the beginning like i was not um like i went for everything like all the reasons why like you'll hear everyone say like you got to make this for you right i was not getting sober for me i was doing it for my mom sister dad ex my ex-girlfriend now but yeah. you know what i mean girlfriend everyone but myself i was completely comfortable in all that shit and all that misery because it's all i knew sure. i was comfortable in it Doing the right thing was super uncomfortable. Like me, like holding the door for someone or like lending a couple bucks to someone or giving them a ride was like, ugh. like hugging. Really? Like two dudes being like, hey, bro, what's up? I'm like, don't touch me. Really? Or like, yeah, people being nice to me. Yeah. I was like, what's your fucking angle? <clears throat> like, you know, like I was just so limbic. Sure. I was so like a reptilian brain that I was just like, <clears throat> I'm not trying to have all yeah. that. And it was feelings. Giving someone a hug makes you feel a certain way. Yep. Um, and then you said the girl Dorian, uh, Daria, Daria, she's hugging all over me yeah. and it was like, but I've always been more comfortable with women than men. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, even funny enough, like my therapist when I got to Treehouse, yeah. was a woman, she was an older woman. Her name's Paula lover to death. She taught me a lot of shit about myself. Um, and that's kind of like where it all starts. So I knew what drugs and alcohol did for me mm -hmm. for that 10 years. I'm grateful for what they did because if I feel like if I didn't have them, I don't know if I'd be here still. Mm -hmm. They're kind of what kept me going because it was a solution to just like my, my shit yeah. that I had, you know, it's to fill up a hole. <clears throat> it was kind of like a medication. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, um, but here's the cool thing. So Treehouse, it's physical activity. Like I said, I was big into sports, mm -hmm. big about like team camaraderie. I was kind of in a gang. I liked that whole thing. You know, I liked being like a part of a group. Treehouse, you go on to a team. So that was kind of, that was cool. Yeah. Also, I had to interview to get into this facility. So just because like my insurance is good and my parents had the money to pay or however it plays out. I don't, I still don't know to this day how that exactly played out. Sure. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're into this facility. Like you have to sit before the team. It's a, the group of guys. It could be anywhere from six to 12 guys. Mm -hmm. You have to go in front of them and basically explain why you want to be here. No treatment center has ever had me do that. Do you Usually they're like, said? huh? Do you remember what she said? Well, I remember how it went. So, <laughs> so I walk in and it's like a bunch of dudes. Like these guys look like they've been working at this facility. They don't look like they have a month sober, two months sober. Yeah. Like these guys look like they have their shit together. At least through their looks. They have muscle on them. Like they look healthy. Yeah. Then there's me in like oversized shirt, oversized pants, 
like can't fit into anything, like still kind of tweaked out, you know, just like not make it like I can't put a full sentence together. And they asked me, um, you know, what happens if you don't get accepted? And I said, I'm going to go get high. And they went, okay. And then they said, um, can you do 20 pushups? And I was like, probably not. I was like, I, I could probably give you like 10. They said, try to get 20. I was like, I, th- I think I did like, like eight. Like right. I didn't even do what I said I could yeah. do. And then they, um, one of the guys asked me, you know, what I'm going to bring to the team. And I, I, I just kind of looked and I was like, nothing. Like I have nothing to fucking offer you. Yeah. I just crawled out from a bridge like two weeks ago. It says like, a lot about your mental state of what you thought about yourself. Yeah. But, but so they accept me Yeah, and I'm sitting there dumbfounded because like, like yeah, if like th- if that was a job interview, you know, <laughs> what are you going to bring nothing. to this company? Nothing at all. I'm coming okay. in late and I'm going to get high. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, you know, at our work, we have to do at least 20 pushups a day. Can you do that? Yeah. I can do eight. And, yeah. Okay. Come on in. You're accepted. <laughs> like we'd like to pay you for sure your time. What? So, um, later on, I found out that I was honest, vulnerable and willing. Mm. Had no idea. You know, and that's, that's like, that's at least like for me, what the beginning was. I had to be honest. I was honest about my situation. I don't have fucking nothing to offer you. Yeah. You know, I was vulnerable basically because I said, oh, I don't have anything going on for me. So if you don't accept me, I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing. Right. That's honest and vulnerability, I guess. And the then truth. willingness is they said, try to do 20 pushups. And I fucking tried. Like my arms are doing the shake thing at eight. Yeah. Like I, I showed effort that I wanted to be there, even though I didn't even know I wanted to be there. Yeah. And then I fought the program for like nine months, uh, like 90 days. What do you mean fought? Like I was telling therapists, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, gotcha. Let me tell you what it is. I kept taking my will back. I kept trying <clears throat> to like sabotage. They wouldn't let me, you know, um, at two months I got my phone back, had it for a day, texted the girl got in an argument with her because I was not ready to fucking talk to her. Therapist said, give me your phone. I said, no. She said, leave. I said, here's my phone. Didn't get my phone back for like another four months after that. Um, Yeah, but at about nine, and I say 90 days because at about 90 days, a couple things happened. Um, The first thing happened is I was arguing with my therapist who taught the addiction ed portion. That's where I learned about the prefrontal cortex, um, different sort of setup behaviors, because there's like things like when someone relapses, Mm -hmm. they didn't relapse right then and there. That relapse could have happened six months prior to the actual like act of using, right? So there's this thing that they teach us called setup behaviors. When When people get sober, usually they become like health freaks. They're going to mothers, they're like drinking kombucha. Yeah. They're taking their medicines at night. And I feel so I'm healthy. Like, right? Right, right. Watch somebody that you know. It's kind of a fucked up experiment. But if you have a friend who struggles with addiction, sure. if that person who's like a health freak all of a sudden starts eating McDonald's, playing video games, and like not working out, talk to them. Where, where are you at, dude? Yeah. Like, are you okay? 
And if they're comfortable with you, they'll probably tell you, no, nah, not really. How'd you know? Well, because yeah. you're, you're like this health freak. You're working out seven days a week. Now you've gone once a week and you're eating McDonald's. Dude, that was the exact same thing that ha- happened to me. I would. Yeah. It's, it almost sounds, <clears throat> please do not. I am not equating this to, to a drug addiction, but it's almost the exact same. When I was going the six months before mm-hmm. my suicide attempt, it was nothing but fast food. Yeah. I would wake up. Early in the morning, because I had a failed, I tried to purchase a company. It didn't go through, so I didn't have a job, but I didn't want my wife to see me just lay around the house. So I'd mm-hmm. wake up early. I'd put on my gym clothes. I wasn't going to the gym. I'd go get uh, fast food yeah. and go to a park and then chill there and then sleep and then go get more fast food. And then I'd throw all the fast food out, almost like to cover my tracks and go home, brush my teeth. And it was like, but I was just not working out. I was eating yeah. like shit. And it was just mentally just going down the exact same same road. So it's interesting to see the parallels between yeah. mental health or negative thought addiction and drug addiction. Almost the exact same parallel. It's, it's all mental health. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. That's interesting. It's all mental health. The only difference is that there may be like an imbalance in your brain that or someone's brain who deals with specifically mental health, yeah. that's a little more complicated is like the, and I'm not, a, I have no sure. letters behind my name. I'm not a doctor. This is just what I'm yeah. based off of people I've talked to and met and just gone through this life, this last four years of recovery. Yeah. Um, there's just like an imbalance, which can be corrected through, you know, using your body like there's a saying that your body's a machine and a product of chemistry like your brain is going to tell you to stop before your body it's a well-oiled machine Mm -hmm. that thing can go and go and go and go it can get burned it can get frozen it can get shot yeah there's so many things that can happen to your body usually what tells you to stop or slow is your brain this hurts let's stop you're weak you're a failure don't do this you know so you're gonna you know but if you can learn how to correct that that's why you see these people who are like power lifters or mixed martial artists or you know like this one guy i forget his name but uh wim hof yeah wim hof technique yep. dude freaking hike the mount everest in shorts and barefoot yeah wim hoffing because that wim hof it breaks down the protein in your body or yeah. something we teach our clients that at treehouse okay um at a point sure you can't always just throw you can't be like hey you have Two days sober, you want to Wim Hof because you'll freak some people out because right. it makes you feel kind of buzzy. Yeah. But, um, so you had 90 days. Yeah. Go, going good. So, um, or ish. I'm, and then it's what's... terrible. It's, it's not good. Okay. Like, I'm in this addiction, Ed. Yeah, I totally sidetracked there. No, no, no. I'm no. in this addiction, Ed, and, um, I'm kind of giving my addiction ed teacher some shit. And he just looks at me and he tells me to shut the fuck up. And I was like, like a therapist has never told me in the history. And I've done a lot of therapy, never told me in the history of therapy to shut the fuck up. So I sat there. My whole team starts like laughing, like got him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, Steven. Yep. And I just like, I like, I, I, I just sat there and I don't know what came over me. Um, but I swallowed a big fucking pill and I grabbed Pat. That was the addiction ed teacher. I said, I'm sorry. I have no idea what I'm doing. 
and I'm completely scared. Like, will you help me? And I said it in front of my team and everything. Mm-hmm. And he went, yeah, fucking finally. I'm sorry for cussing at you. I was like, it's okay. I needed it. Yeah. And then, and then I left there, went into a one-on-one with my, like my actual therapist. Yeah. It went all right. Like, you know, I kind of told her about what happened and she was like, oh, that's really good. Um, you know, did the therapy thing. Good job. You know? And yeah. then, um, I had my, um, 90 day review with the program director and the f- physical modality director. And I cried for like the first time in, I don't know how long he brought up. I said, he said, so what's your plan after treatment? I said, well, you know, at a, at a year, I'll probably move out of sober living. Uh, me and the girl are going to move to Ventura, live happily ever after. Uh-huh. This girl dropped me off at this place. We were both strung out. We were both kicking dope. Like it was not a Whoa. good look. You know yeah. what I mean? And he was like, this is the girl that blah, 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 dropped you off this and that. I said, yeah. He said, you know, why a year? Why put a time limit on it? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know. He goes, why her? And I was like, well, because I love her. He goes, do you even know what love is? And I went, yeah. He goes, okay, explain it to me. And I lost my shit. I just started fucking crying and yeah. um, like, like ugly crying. Like, <laughs> like you know right, what I mean? Just right. like can't hold it back. I've been holding it for so long. Yeah. And, um, and then I, and then I did another crazy, like I left the 90 reviews like, you're going to be okay. At this point I wasn't really crying. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be fine. He walked into his office and I bounced. I left. I said, fuck this. And I left, Whoa. got on my skateboard and I was just going down, um, 17th street, Costa Mesa. Okay. And then I made a right on Newport Boulevard and there was this vape shop that I would, I frequent frequented a lot. Yeah. And, um, I was going to go get some outside validation from these girls that work there. Oh, make me feel better. Poor me. Mm. Sad boy. You know? And, um, my team, my whole team was there. They weren't supposed to be there, but they were. And so I paused and I was like breaking support. Like they were supposed to pick me up. I was not supposed to leave solo. Yeah. And I went to turn around to like run away. And then I remembered like to go back and wait for him. And then I remembered how real I got with them a couple hours before. And so I just rolled in there. My buddy, who's like, he's the best man at my wedding. He goes, I had my sunglasses. I, he like looked at me. He's like, are you crying? And I was like, no. He's like, you're <laughs> fucking crying. And then from that point, I just grew. Like everything started to like make sense. Like everything in addiction ed, like I could see how my addiction, like I finally had a face to my disease. That's what it was. It was, I had this face to my disease. It was no longer like this boogeyman that hid in the Mm -hmm. bushes and waited for me to walk out and have a bad day and bam, I relapsed. Sure. You know what I mean? It was, I understood myself. A little bit. What, what do you mean face? Face. Yeah. Like a face to my disease. Like, um, like explain, I, I could finally that. see it. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. You know what I okay. mean? Um, like, got it. It wasn't this mystical thing. Cause a lot of times, like the only real treatment I had was like 12 step based stuff. Sure. And it was all God. And I was not a fan of God. I had no yeah. understanding of it. My parents didn't raise me religious. Like I had a really, my best friend was Catholic and he used to go to CDC on Wednesdays. I had no idea what that was. And I was like, where are you on Wednesdays, bro? Yeah. He's like, I'm in CDC. What the hell is that? It's Catholic right. school. I said, okay. Call me when you're done. Yeah. Call me, let's smoke some pot. Like, right. you know what, I mean? what are you doing? Um, 
And so, yeah, I just didn't have an understanding. And I've always been like, if I don't understand something, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pretend. Like, I'm either going to understand it and mm -hmm. then do it or not. And so religion just kind of passed me by. Yeah. And AA, they always, you know, it's it's God stuff. It's all, it's, sure. it's not, I wouldn't say it's religious. If you're, if you're super new, you're going to think it's religious. Yeah. But it's much more spiritual. You don't have to pay any money to be there. Yeah. Sure, the basket goes around. If you if you have a dollar, put a dollar in because that's what provides funds it. Yeah, it funds sure. it that way. But if you don't have it, no one's gonna be like, you know, you've been coming here for a year and um, mm -hmm. I haven't seen you pay one dollar. Like no one cares. Yeah. So, but at that point, I, I like understood myself. Mm -hmm. I knew, and now I was really curious about what recovery could do for me because of how good I felt embracing yeah. my my true self which is the, like an emotional person like i'm okay with feeling emotions i can pick up on other people's emotions really well it's like a sixth sense now it's not yeah. so much this thing that i'm embarrassed of now it's a thing that i'm like stoked about right right you know and um and i worked it and i mean i was in treatment for seven months so like hardcore treehouse treatment so mm -hmm. it's like up at 5 45 a.m bed by like nine you're programming six eight hours a day what programming what do you mean so programming will like on certain days it'll be like action-based induction therapy followed by esm um so action-based induction therapy is the stuff that we do with the it's a navy seal training so yeah. it's stuff with the boats um and it's a team it's like a team objective kind of thing so it's like you and your team get in a boat there's one guy steering the boat the other guys are rowing the boat and you have an objective to complete yeah the staff is going to induce emotions so there's different topics of the week there's love week hate week anger week fear week different things like that people handle those things differently i'm really it's good really interesting i'm really good at that time i was very good at like anger i was like i got this. i'll knock this one out of the park right but love compassion nope not for me. I don't care about you. Yeah. <laughs> if I care about you, that mm -hmm. means that one day I'm probably going to have to help you or you're going to make me feel a certain way. So I'm good. Yeah. That was one thing when you told me that you went through Treehouse and then when I looked into it and I know you're not a representative or whatnot, but yeah. just what you went through is that at Treehouse, they, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a very big portion of strong physical activity, working yeah. out a lot of, for the listeners that doesn't, that don't really mm -hmm. know a lot of CrossFit type of mm -hmm. work, working out. And I thought that was so interesting because like we talked about a little bit before is that the addiction part of the brain, the part that literally the way that we are wired or the way that we are wired has, I, as I was told by a neuro neurologist from MIT said that our brains are super, super old. And it was, hey, way back in the day, before a city, before this, we had a tribe. So we had a team kind of going back to that. So that was really interesting. That triggered, I even wrote that down. So you're at this, um, you're at Treehouse and this team or this tribe accepts you. So that's part of the brain that's activated. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when we were back before we had um, cities and all that, we go see a deer, we kill a deer, we eat the deer. Oh, that makes us feel good that's an addiction, go back to that spot, get another deer, come back. Mm -hmm. And that's the addiction. That's the only addiction that we, we knew, but that's how the brain was formed. Yeah. And now 
the drugs do the exact same thing, exact same portion. But the cool thing is, is that physical activity formulates or, or um, simulates the exact same portion of that. So like mm-hmm. the dopamine, the exact same area of that addiction, physical activity goes through the exact same way. So I thought that was really interesting that they kind of center their treatment around it. And then they pile on, not pile on, they interject some other things that especially, I'm just speaking from a man's point of view, especially men aren't very, we're not very good at expressing emotions. John especially, Wayne. Yes. Yeah. We all want to be John Wayne. We all want to be John Wick. You know, you fuck our fuck with our dog, then we'll go yeah. go. Then we'll show emotion, but everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. But outside of that, you know, so I think it's so cool the way that this organization kind of <clears throat> kind of uh, structured their their recovery standpoint. So I just love that that portion. So you have the programming. You're going through these physical activities. You have this these emotions, and then when how long are you in there for until you get out? So usually, it's a it's a 150 day program. Okay. I'd stayed a little longer. Um, they just, I, I don't know. You're I an don't, overachiever. No, 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 no. It's the <laughs> complete opposite. I'm I, think. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an overachiever. <laughs> yeah. Catch me at Rise Muay Thai. Yeah. Overachieving. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, no, they just, I needed it. Yeah. I finally turned a leaf. I found out later on that, that it was kind of funny in my graduation day, the, um, the guy who was my addiction ed teacher, he said he got in trouble for this, but he said in my graduation, we didn't think you were going to make it because they have team meetings. They have like a lot of team meetings sure. and that's, there's a 360 degree view around every single client that's in Treehouse. There's your, uh, a bit instructor. There's your ESM coach. There's your yoga therapist. There's your writing therapist and there's your lead therapist. And there's five for each team. There's three teams. That's so cool. So there's a grip of people working. So each week they spend time on three patients, five, you know, it's always, yeah. it's always a larger number of brains focusing on a smaller number of people. Um, and they focus, how can we help this guy? Yeah. Like, what do we have to do? Like, should we push him here? Like, should we pull back here? Should we let like what right. everyone's process is different? It's sure. all case by case. And so it's, it's a lot of work on that end. You yeah. know, now I see it. I always thought that they were just kind of flying by the seat of their pants when I was a patient. But um, now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, holy shit, there's a lot that goes into yeah. this. Um, but yeah, so I stayed, I stayed a little bit longer. So what was your total, total amount of time in there? So, I came in March 16th, or I came in March 28th, because I was in detox for about 15 days. Okay. And then... So we'll say April, May, June, July, August, September, October, mid, six, mid October. Okay. Six, seven months. Um, and yeah, I, and I just, you know, I, 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 for once in my life, I didn't feel this need to bounce. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to stay put. Like, what, Jeff, that's a program director who kind of hit me with the love and like, where am I going in a year kind of stuff. Yeah. He hit he, something changed with that. Like that all is a part of it. But so at this point, the, the, the biopsychosocial model of Treehouse had done its job. It built a great foundation for me. Yeah. Everybody is made up of four pieces, I believe, my opinion. There's the biology, mm-hmm. there's psychology, and sociological. So team, yep. tribe. 
there's a fourth, it's spirituality. I was very far away from that. Um, in sobriety, I got fired for attempted stealing from a job. Um, I wasn't the best house resident. I broke a lot of rules. I didn't do my chore. Um, I, and, and I think, and I just, you know, I ran around with a lot of different girls. I didn't treat them the night. Like I was still right. kind of a piece of shit. I had a good foundation that I could always fall back on and be like, whoa. And it would like, yeah. it allowed me to have that brake pedal instead of me just driving and driving and driving until I hit that fucking brick wall. And then I go, right. well, I'm here. I may as well just get loaded. Yep. I was able to just kind of slow down and then I'd and then slow down. Um, but I think you kind of know, I, if I'm hearing or I'm feeling yeah. after that seven months, you had a really good foundation, but I think you knew intuitively, or maybe like I said, looking back, understanding that you're a never ending work in progress. Mm -hmm. And if you know that I love, um, Bob Dylan has a great line. He goes, yep, you have to always be in a state of becoming. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you know that, hey, I have a good foundation, but I'm not done, I think that's a lot of value because I think huge amount. what happens from my experience talking to other individuals, people like my mom's super big um, addict, you, they people come out of recovery and go, all right, got that done with. I'm done. Let's yeah. get on with my life. I'm I'm fixed. Yeah. Let's go. No, and that's not the way it fucking go. not the way it fucking rolls. So you get out. So now you're a year or so. You've been sober four years. What do you attribute to you not relapsing in these last three years of kind of? I know you're mm -hmm. associated with Treehouse still mm -hmm. a little bit, but not in their program. You're working there, helping them. But how do you? What do you attribute to you not relapsing? And before I do say that you probably know the statistics better, but I did look it up. And so to anybody listening, I want to let them know that it's 100%. I don't know how to say this another way, another way my vocabulary is mistaken me. It's 100% okay to relapse. And matter of fact, actually 60% of people end up relapsing. I think of the recovery that I saw, 90% of them have some sort of relapse during mm -hmm. their recovery. So it's, it's going, it's not relapse is definitely a part of recovery. Yeah. It's so not just be okay with it, but there are some people, my wife has never relapsed. Yeah. Which is crazy. She's she, part of the 10%. She, yeah. It's nuts. You know, it's a very small percent, but honestly, like she did it through AA. Um, and she worked the program and took suggestions of people who did it before her. Mm -hmm. It's super fucking simple. Um, so what kept you from not relapsing? AA. AA. Okay. Treehouse was my foundation. I knew in my deepest of deepest, because that book speaks to me. It's like mm -hmm. when I read it, you can put my name in anywhere and it makes sense. For a long time growing up, I didn't want to admit that because that's basically admitting I am powerless. I am fucked. Mm -hmm. um, I am an alcoholic. I have to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want to. I like partying and doing drugs and having fun and yeah. living that lifestyle. I'm not ready to give it up. At this point, I was. <laughs> so I was like, but there's still a part like, you know, if when you dive into the steps, it's a lot of it's it's tough. It's yeah. not easy by any means, but it is very simple. If you just follow the direction, you got to get a sponsor. You got to go to meetings. You have to live by the principles and everything is outlined in the book in the first 164 pages. Yeah. You know, and I never thought that I would be the one sitting on a podcast, like kind of being like, hey, 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 and like preaching a, hey, hey, but 
Yeah. That it that's the only thing. But Treehouse gave me that foundation to be open to AA. Mm-hmm. Without it, I don't think I would have ever. I don't think I'd be here. Yeah. You know, I definitely uh, believe Treehouse saved me. Yeah. The whole thing leading up to it, the my mom sending me the text to the woman that was at the detox to my experience at detox to coming to tre- everything. Yeah. You know, but it really wasn't. So at about eleven months sober, um, I just was miserable. I was completely miserable. Like I said, I I was just wasn't happy. I hadn't gotten fired for stealing from that or attempted stealing from mm-hmm. that job, but I was completely miserable. Um, I was all the setup behaviors, mm-hmm. physical setup behaviors were just coming out. I was sleeping in a lot, watching a lot of Netflix, like not doing much, trying to hang out with chicks, but didn't have enough real money to do so. Cause I was yes. kind of working a dead end job at a vape shop, the vape shop from nice. the story. Um, and I just decided one day at work, like there's enough people that came into that vape shop. There's the one off of Newport Boulevard and, um, by the triangle. Yeah. There's enough people there that are on drugs. And I knew that. And I was like, I'll just wait until I, you know, see the guy with the black under his fingernails or someone who's a little loaded. And I'm not going to ask them. I'm just going to get them to talk about it and then ask me. And then I'll say yes. Mm -hmm. And that's how I like had it weirdly justified me using someone needs to ask me. I won't go seek it. Yeah. Three days of that, like pit in my stomach, like the whole nine yards. And the only way that I've ever been able to get rid of that pit in my stomach is by using on the third day, I'm walking home from work. It's about 10 o'clock at night. Curfew's at 11. I'm in this alleyway behind, like, the houses where I live at. And um, I'm just, like, talking. I'm talking to myself. And I just keep saying, like, I'm going to use. I'm going to use. And then all of a sudden, you said, you know what? Like, I'm not going to use. I don't I don't want to use. And I remember, like, kind of, like, loud. Like, being like I don't, I don't want to use. Do you say it out loud, literally? Out loud, literally. I don't want to fucking use. I'm tired of this shit. The pit went away. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next day, I got a better job. I got a house managing position in my sober living. So that's a discount yeah. on rent. I'm making more money and I'm paying less to live there now. And now I kind of have a purpose. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. And so for me, that was my first spiritual experience. Like that isn't some people would say that's coincidence fuck it i don't think so dude like i've seen coincidence coincidence (laughs) is like well i don't know but you know what i mean like that was something i mean it gives me goosebumps thinking about today and then from that point i dove into the steps it took me a while like i completed my first set of 12 steps took me 18 months it says in the big book sometimes quickly sometimes slowly Mm -hmm. some people like my my wife Blew through it and like she was sponsoring people at six months sober. Right. You know, there's no way I was going to take on like a, a young, like a, like a newcomer right. and be like, let me try to help you out. Like, fuck no. Right. <laughs> That's like if like I just show up to like a office building, like I could be an electrician. I got let it. me see where the wires are at. I got <laughs> you know, I'll just, uh, so, um, yeah, that's yeah. two pivotal mm-hmm. life things that you just said there that are so once again I, there's so many transferable this just happens to be your story it's yeah. transferable to everybody yeah is that i got goosebumps as well because it sounds so fucking simple and it's to somebody listening 
it may be fuck you, Josh, fuck you, Steven. That's not going to work. Yeah. But the way that you talk to yourself mm-hmm. is so monu fucking mental. Mm-hmm. It's undeniable. Yeah. It's undeniable. And if you can say it out loud, mm-hmm. literally and psychology, psychologically and bio- biologically, it is so much better to say that out loud. I am oh, not yeah. going to use. I am a good person. I did good today. I'm proud of myself. So fucking huge. Yeah, super, yeah. And then the other thing through the good book to when you were talking about your wife or other people is that to not compare yourself to other people, Mm-mm. comparison is the fucking thief of joy. When you start comparing yourself to somebody else, you have no clue what they went through. You have no clue how many bridges yeah. Steven's yeah. been sleeping under. You have no clue how many times he said, fuck you or fuck this or whatever. You don't yeah. know somebody's story. You just know yeah. what you see. You cannot compare. Mm-hmm. If you can, not to just these two things, but if you, if you were to do two things, speak to yourself in a better positive kindly manner and not compare yourself to other people and just walk at your own pace go at your own journey i think your life is going to be exponentially better oh yeah so much fucking easier said than done i had the exact same thing yet i'd be very transparent i had the exact same thing two days ago what was today thursday uh tuesday tuesday sitting there and my mind got away from me but for me it was due to boredom and -hmm. i was sitting there on the couch going why aren't you doing what, what you should be doing? You, you're quarantined. There's no other reason you shouldn't be doing what you said you're going to do. You wrote a to-do list. Why don't you do it? And negative thoughts, negative yeah. thoughts, negative thoughts, negative thoughts, negative thoughts, and then had to break that pattern. But, yeah, if you can talk to yourself in a positive manner and not compare, I think it's so monumental. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're kind of cruising up on time. I don't want to keep you too long, but I want to go through kind of transition to, in your opinion, and – I know that you already said this, but just to reiterate, this is just your opinion Mm -hmm. from somebody who's been through it. Mm -hmm. You're not a doctor. You're not a psychologist, what have you. But I want to, if you can give, I know kind of almost sacrilegious to ask this, but to somebody that has not gone through treatment or is currently an addict, what it's one to three things that you would advice that you would give them right now. And then what's somebody who's, at that 60 day, at that 90 day, at that mm-hmm. that time when you're 16 in Houston going, as soon, as soon as I'm done with this 30 days, I'm fucking out. I'm fucking out. So two types of people. Yeah. One, the addict right now or someone struggling with addiction, what advice or what recommendations would you give them? Like three things, three steps. Well, okay. So for the addict who's like currently struggling yeah. in active addiction, I'd say go easy on yourself. Like yes. it's like you can't. That's all you know. Yeah. You're, you you need to talk to somebody that can, and you need to talk to somebody that you trust. And even if it's like a, a Hail Mary, you got to jump both feet in. If you want it to stop, you got to take that jump. And you just have to say, I surrender. Like stranger man, whoever, therapist, sponsor, random sober guy that I've known has been sober. What should I do? And if they tell you to do it, just do it. Mm-hmm. Um. I would adopt some, I mean, it depends on what, but if you are in acute withdrawal, like if you are uh, like physically addicted to a substance, detox first, that has to be first. After that, get around like-minded people, do a little bit of working out. Mm -hmm. Um, There's two roads you can take. You can take a pharmacological intervention, which in the beginning, 
I, I am completely for it. If you're a little depressed, if you're a little anxious, here's a Wellbutrin, here's some Paxil or whatever. Right. I wouldn't recommend staying on that for a long time because if you ever want to come off of it, it's going to be harder than coming off of drugs. Yeah. Um, or you could do what Trios does. And it's a, you know, our physical activity is in lieu of pharmacological intervention. So we're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. um, speeding up the post-acute withdrawal symptoms, uh, syndrome, um, rebuilding new neural pathways. Yeah. And it's all sounds super scientific and mumbo jumbo like when you say it, but if you just go for a run, you're going to feel better. Yes. You know, if yep. you go do, t- if you're feeling all fucked up and in your head, crank out as many pushups as, as you can do and watch that dopamine just come through you and make you feel better. Yeah. That's what you're craving. I can't tell you. <clears throat> so, um, Pat, we had the same, um, Muay Thai coach yep. and Pat gave me a bag to a uh, heavy bag to use. <laughs> yeah. And so I took it home the first day I got it when still over at the other, when he was still over at the other spot put it over there and I just put in the eye bolt wrong. And <clears throat> I like to pat myself on the back and say, I'm just I have a super wicked right cross, but it came out and it was just sitting there on the side. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I got to just put it in there correctly. And, but yeah. it just was over there forever. And finally I was like, fuck it. So last night drilled in the hole, put the eye bolt in, secured it all correctly. Got yeah. up this morning, went to home Depot, 6am, got the, um, um, carabiner hooked it up. And went seven rounds on the bag today. I haven't felt this good in a really, yeah. really long time in this pandemic yeah. situation. And so, and it was that physical exertion going out. And so those pushups, those runs. So I think that's so, so massive. Reach out to somebody, get some sort of physical activity, go through that. Now on to the next person. This is the person that I am personally most scared about. And because it's a combination of this current pandemic, Mm -hmm. I was terrified when I heard that they shut down all the AA um, things because of no congregating. Mm -hmm. That scared me because it's it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, that is that was someone's lifeline that you doing that. How many people have died because that happened? Who knows? Yeah, it's scary. And so scary thought. And that's sure. it. And so now you have those people that don't have that organization, don't have that team, don't have that tribe, don't have those, the big brother, big sister to mm-hmm. ask those questions, to reach out, like you said, that normally they look forward to, mm-hmm. you know, them smoking a cigarette, just talking about their day sometimes can be the best thing for those people. And so now they're at home mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, my view, you have this boredom and then maybe it's just like, I'll just drink until I go back to work. And, you know, maybe it just starts with one yeah. little thing and then you know better than anything yeah. that one little thing can fucking. That's go, where it takes go, off. It goes yeah. off. So to that individual right now that's that's having a tough time that maybe doesn't know that they're doing those setup um, mm-hmm. procedures that you talked about, what advice do you give to those people right now that are in that kind of lim- yeah. limbo stage? Well, I mean, I would start with being completely honest with yourself. You know what I mean? Like if you have any sort of recovery, if you have, you know, 60, I mean, 30 days, if you have some sort of recovery, Mm -hmm. if you're in a rehab, like you're in a rehab, you're going to meetings. They're just in the rehab. You're not going to outside meetings. Yeah. But there's Zoom. There's Zoom meetings. Me personally, and I kind of sound like a dick saying this. 
that's not, I haven't gone to a Zoom meeting because it's not the same. I connect better when I can like see and like touch someone else. Yeah. It's more, it just does it for me. I do a lot of stuff on the computer too, and I hate meetings on the computer. Sure. <laughs> so, but um, if you really need something, that's a place where there's people like me and a- anyone who's in addiction. They're all there's people there, yeah. and you can easily say like, "I'm fucked up. I need some help." Like, blah, blah, and someone will talk to you. Those people, even though they're following this, you know, the county ordinance and it's don't, don't gather in groups. If you said on a meeting, "I'm this, this, and this," someone's gonna say, "Where are you? I'm gonna come and get you." Yes. That's just how AA is. Yep. You know, it's there's going to be probably a handful of people. All right, we're coming over. We're going to keep it under 10. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and then I, you can make yourself feel better. Usually people who are within that first 90 days are dealing with a lot of post-acute withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's the part after the acute withdrawal. Yeah. And it's it's going to pass. Like those things will pass. Even if you got to sit on your hands, you don't have to use if you don't want to. If you do use, you don't have to keep using, you know, a lot easier said than done. I've been there myself. I've used a little bit and said, well, fuck it, because that shame and guilt sets in and Mm -hmm. and then it's off to the races. But um, reach out to people, talk to people, surround yourself with people, even though it's COVID and maybe you can't. Usually if you're in recovery, you should, you, if you're in recovery and you're doing it wrong, you should know one or two people that you could go hang out with. Yeah. You know what I mean? There should be really no excuse unless you literally keep yourself from doing it, you know? And then if that's the case, there's no really good advice, you know, like a person really has to want to stay sober, to be sober. And it's, it's. It sucks. Like, I think a lot of, like, I probably talked to, in a year, close to 5,000 people. I probably have brought into treatment 30. Wow. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of people that I talk to that, like, I'm just like, oh, man, I just wish I could just drive to your house, throw you in the trunk, take you to treatment. Yeah. And just sit down, shut up, and do what I say. But that's just not the case. My parents wanted to do that to me. They sent me to fucking Houston. Yeah. It didn't work. Going back to that that shame shame thing, and this is to anybody out there that is struggling, whether you're active in the throes of your addiction or you're in that limbo state, they come to you and say, Stephen, I need help. Yeah. Is there any fraction of a molecule inside of you that would ever look down upon that person. No, no, you would I be correct in saying, I know it's a leading question. Would I be correct in saying that you would think exponentially more higher of them than somebody not going to you? Yeah. And there's would be nothing but love. Yeah. Reaching, reaching out. Like if someone calls me, that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest part. Yeah. Is that first call because in a sense you're admitting you got a problem. Right. Even though you may not say, I admit I have a problem with drugs and alcohol. I need help. But you calling an 800 number where, Mm -hmm. you know, at the other end is going to be someone like me saying, how can I help you? (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like you're admitting it. That's the biggest step. And I would never look down on anybody 
who, I mean, that's the biggest form of humility there is. Yeah. You know, and like there's nothing weak about humility or feelings or vulnerability. It's actually like once you learn how to master that, you have like a suit of Teflon on. Mm-hmm. Nothing can hurt you because you already know, you know, your shit. You right. already know why, you know, maybe I'm not the smartest, the prettiest, the fastest, you know, the strongest, whatever. But if yeah. you know about it yourself, no one can really hurt you with it. Yeah. If you're lying to yourself, that's when you're going to get hurt because then someone's going to be like, oh, you're fucking weak. And you're yeah. going to go, fuck you. <laughs> Duh. You know? And, yeah. Yeah. Well, brother, I, uh, like I said in the beginning, I really appreciate you yeah. coming on. Um, I am so... I know that you're one of many, but I'm so excited that people like you exist. And the reason being is just for me, I think learning from or hearing from somebody who has been through it mm-hmm. is so much has so much more power than somebody who just teaches it. Mm-hmm. And so I mean this with all sincerity. I'm excited and I'm very happy that individuals like you exist because you are making a very, very big difference whether you see it or not just you living your life the way you are have and being able to be transparent and open mm-hmm. and there's going to be somebody that's listening to this podcast that is it's going to make their day a little bit better and you may I never so. yeah you may may never see it hear it hopefully you do but most likely you won't but you being able to do that is so powerful and i think people's stories are the way that we can overcome virtually anything in it knowing that somebody else has gone through it mm. brings solace to somebody else. So I, I mean this in all sincerity and from my heart. I appreciate you coming on here. Thank, Thank you, you very for having much. me. Um, and then just last thing, and I know it's a local place, but how does somebody get a hold of, just because I really value mm-hmm. Treehouse uh, Recovery, is it just treehouserecovery.com.org? Yeah, we there... have a facility in Portland, Oregon. Okay, so you cool. just do Treehouse Recovery PDX um, on Google. Okay. Um, we also have YouTube channel we have a facebook page um or treehouse recovery orange county um google youtube okay. page um you can kind of check out some videos i'm on there there's our program director our um ceo founder everything like that doing videos talking about stuff um there's an 800 number 855 number in the top right hand corner of our website page okay if you call that myself or a guy named jake or a guy named brandon We'll answer it. There's only three of us. We're not a call center. Um, okay. You know, we're, we're, we'll help. Okay. For sure. Cool. And I'll put all that stuff in the show notes and stuff. So it'll be easy for people to hit on it and yeah. go from there. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Remember everybody be kind to yourself.